good morning. It's good to see you guys. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Um, hey to those watching us online too. Um, so we are, as Justin just prayed, we're in this series. We're looking at this, this verse in particular uh, in Philippians chapter four. So the series is called Whatever because Paul says he lists these, these, thing, these whatevers and he's given us this God, these godly boundaries for us to function in, to think about, to dwell on um, so that we can live a more godly life. And so um, today we're gonna actually look at two of them, uh, of these uh, attributes, if you will, that, that Paul mentions. We're gonna look at lovely and admirable. Lovely and admirable. Here's what verse eight says of Philippians four. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So let's look at lovely first. We're going to look at what Paul means by lovely. Now, there's a, the Greek word that, it, that we know, because in English, we, we tend to really mess up words. I'm just going to say, in, in Greek, here's the word for lovely. It's prophiles, prosphiles, okay? Um, and it's actually, it's a compound word, so it's made up of two words. So the word pros there, it means toward or forward, and phileis is actually, it's, it's um, uh, the word phileo. It's one of the aspects of um, love that we know of. So it's forward love. So a really good definition of, in the original text, for lovely, as we read in English, would be that which pushes you toward love. And of course, as Paul is writing, it's that which pushes you towards the love of God. Okay, so when he talks about lovely, see, we see, we, we use lovely and we're like, oh, attractive, uh, pleasing to the eye, looks good, right? And Paul's not saying, hey, think about people who are really hot. He's saying, think about those things that push you towards the love of God. That, that's what he's talking about. He's like, this is the focus on these things that are towards the love of God. Um, God's heart, God's goodness, all of these things. Now, um, what we hear repetitively and why we call this series whatever is because Paul's like, whatever is this, whatever is this, and he goes on and on. But then he brings it down to think about such things. Think, Paul says, think. And that's really important. I want that to settle in on you because I want you to think today. I want you to leave here thinking. I want you to go through the rest of this week thinking about what we see Paul writing here. He, he says, think, and there's a reason he says that because our mind in regard to what's lovely should be saturated with God's heart, with God's uh, character, with, with the, the person of God. It should be pushing us towards that. He is love. And he's saying, think about that. Let your mind be centered on that. Be towards the love of God. Think, Paul writes. Now, so he's saying this, and so it's like whatever you allow your mind to think about, let it be lovely. Whatever you think about, let it be something that pushes you towards the love of God, which tells me that, that, it's, that it's possible then for us to not think about things that push us towards the love of God. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't write about it, right? It would just be an automatic. Oh, you, you're a Christian, you think about things that push you towards the love of God, uh, it's not what Paul's saying. He's like, no, you need to think about this, Christian. 
follower of Jesus, you need to think about things that push you towards the love of God, which tells us then that we can think about things that don't push us towards the love of God. We can think about things that actually push us away from the love of God. We can think about things that, that um, pull us away. We can think about things that misdirect us. And we can think, think about things that confuse us in regard to God and his love for us. So Paul's like, think about this. Think about this. Now, here's what I want you to do today. And, and not just like while we're sitting here. Again, this is something to take with you. But I want you to start to process this, Okay. Measure your thoughts. Examine your thoughts. That's what I mean by measure. Examine your thoughts. What are you thinking about? What is taking up uh, your thought process? What is in your mind? What are you thinking about? In the, in the past week, just the past week, have the things that have occupied your mind, have the details that you have dwelt upon, the, have they pushed you towards the love of God? Or have they been in another direction? Or maybe at best neutral? Is there such a thing? What, examine, like what do you think about? Where are your thoughts going? Because Paul is writing to the church, he's writing to Christians and he says, think about things that are lovely, that push you towards the love of God. Is that where your thoughts are? Or have you been pulled away, misdirected? Confused. Would your thoughts be considered lovely according to, to scripture here, according to the, the Greek, pushing you towards the love of God? Here's a question. Is, is, the, is, is your love of God deeper today because over the last five or six days you have thought about dwelt upon, focused on, those things that nudge you, push you towards the love of God. I mean, so here's why I ask that question, because my goodness, what do we think about? What consumes our mind? What, what, is, what is taking up so much space in our mind some of you know who this person is. I didn't realize the book was written as late as it was, but there was a, an author named Dale Carnegie. He wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. A lot of you may have heard of it. He wrote this book in 1936. So it's been around for a while. He says this. He says, when we're not engaged in thinking about some definite problem, we usually spend about 95% of our time thinking about ourselves. Now, I don't know how uh, scientifically accurate that statement is. I don't know what you know, he used to come up with that. But I think Mr. Carnegie, had he, he was pretty close to the truth. I think he was pretty close to the truth that we are just completely wrapped up with thinking about self, about ourselves. How utterly self, self-focused that we are. Now, I want to give you a personal example very timely personal example. Um, thinking about well, what am I thinking about? So my mind, my focus, my attention um, has been utterly and completely focused on 
what's going on in our church and the direction that we're going. I mean, that's just, that is all, totally all consuming. Late at night, middle of the night, wee hours of the morning. There, there are so many pieces. There are so many details. There are so many conversations and so many meetings and so much information to be gathered and so much information to be shared. And my mind is just completely wrapped up with this. And some might go, well, Shannon, that's churchy stuff. So that's kind of pushing you towards the love of God. And I appreciate you thinking that. And, and, and for, for sure, my prayers have been, yes, they have ramped up for sure. Um, my, my reading, my, my personal study on, on, on seeing God direct people and how he speaks and just discernment and, and understanding those things has, of course, it's increased. But without even noticing it, and maybe you do this too, okay, maybe this is something that you do, like without even noticing it, um, one minute, I'm like praying scripture, I'm standing on the promises of God, I'm believing all the things that God says, like I'm, you know, we've got it written down and, you know, we, we did the post and everything, it's like, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, and in a nanosecond, I mean, like no time at all, I can switch gears, I don't even mean to, and, and I just, I take on the heaviness, I take on the burden, I take on the, the complexities of, I'm talking about my personal experience right here, of leading the church through this, this, uh, this time, out of a denomination, into, into what the future's going to be, as, as if I'm the only one responsible. And I'm not. But do you, do you get that? Like one minute you are like, you've got scripture. You're like, yes, and yes, I'm standing firm in this, and this is who I am. And then like, just, it takes nothing and it's like it's all back to you. You've been there? You understand that? But it, like, so my personal example, that's not true. This isn't all on me. This is, this is nowhere near all on me. Even, even as the, the pastor of the church, as the lead pastor of the church, as the title says, yes, this is my responsibility to, to help lead. But my thoughts, as Paul writes, need to continually be brought back to what is lovely. And that's what pushes me and nudges me towards the love of God. The one who's the Lord of everything. All of this. Right? I've heard, I've heard many of you say that um, you're praying for me. And I say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please continue to pray. Please continue to pray for me. But I, I'll add to that. There are, there are, I'm not bearing all this on my own. Um, there are other people who I would ask you to pray for. I'd ask you to pray for our ministry board. Um, people who have, who have said yes, who when we asked them in December if they would serve this year, we're like, yeah, we'll probably meet five or six times a year. <laughs> um, we did that like, with, uh, yeah. Anyone on the ministry board's like, oh, you're funny, Shannon. Um, but pray for our ministry board. Um, Ryan Graham. Steve Brooks, Max Ward, Chris Smith, Anna Catherine Gardner, uh, Sheila Roberts, Janice Patterson. Pray for our ministry board. Um, they, they are in, in, the, in the middle of, of this uh, with me as we are in this process. Pray. So yes, thank you for praying for me. But pray for our ministry board. But don't just pray for them. Also pray for our exploratory groups. We have a couple of groups that we've 
tasked with looking at the pros and cons. One group uh, is looking at the pros and cons of, of what it might look like to be in, in another denomination. We've got another group that's looking at the pros and cons of looking at what it would be to, to be in an independent church in an association with other churches. And those are meeting. That's about 20, over 20 people right there. So pray for those people. Pray for them as they meet and they discuss and they talk. And then not only just pray for me, thank you, Pray for the ministry board, thank you. Pray for the exploratory groups, but also pray for our um, congregational representatives that we are, I just started asking leaders about last night, um, asking, asking groups if they would, hey, would you be a part of this? Uh, to be congregational representatives who, again, about 20 plus people who are going to take in all this information that the exploratory groups have looked at, that the board has looked at, that other groups have talked about. We're going to do a survey in a couple of weeks. But we're going to take all this information and our congregational representatives in, in May are going to say, they're going to come together and they're going to say, this is where we, with all the info, this is where we discern, we believe after prayer that the Lord is leading us as a congregation. And they're going to make that recommendation to the board. Pray for them. Pray. See how it's not all on me? But don't we do that? Don't we do that? I'm like, oh, yeah, God, you got this. This is all you. This is all you. And it takes nothing for us to go, oh, no, this is, this is all on me. We're very self-focused. We're so very self-focused. Right? I'm, not, I, I'm not alone in this. I'm not carrying all of this on my shoulders. There's, there's close to 50 prayerful, dedicated people involved in this really profound, important decision as just an example that I'm offering to you. And I know a lot of you all are dealing with stuff. And you're in a place where you're trying to discern which is where to go and what to do. Listen, I will tell you one thing, and that is for sure that Paul writes, and that is for your thoughts, for your mind to be focused on that which is lovely, that which pushes you, nudges you towards the love of God. That's what we're to think about. That's what we're to think about. And I sit here, I stand here and tell you that, but I, I'll, but I also know that 3 a.m. Shannon will try and think something different. And sometimes 2 p.m. Shannon will try to think something different. My thoughts, my concerns, my, my trepidation, my, my hopes, even my ex- ex- immense excitement for what's in store. I must turn my thought towards those things that are lovely, that nudge me towards the love of God. Because in doing so, here's what happens. When we say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think, think what is lovely, whatever is lovely, that which pushes you towards love, when we do that, friends, it gives us the bigger picture. See, when it's just us, our picture is very, very small. It gives us a bigger picture. We can stay in focus on what God's bigger picture is. And you know what God's picture is? It's his kingdom. It's not just me. It's not just you. It's not just right now. It's God's kingdom. The bigger picture is the gospel message. That's the bigger picture. The bigger picture is, is people saying yes to God through Jesus Christ. The bigger, the bigger picture is people confessing their sin. The bigger picture is people repenting. The bigger picture is people being baptized in the name of Jesus. The bigger picture is people being freed from, you know, being released from shame and, and sin and living new life. That's the bigger picture. And when we focus on that which pushes us towards the love of God, that's where our mind goes instead of on self. See, Scripture says over and over and over again where our thoughts are to be focused. I want to read some of them to you. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says that God will keep in perfect peace all who trust in him, all whose thoughts are fixed on him. 
That's what Paul's writing about in Philippians 4.8. This, uh, this is where our thoughts should be. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Right? We're to focus on what's lovely. That's lovely. And it says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 and 24. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, and instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. That's lovely. Paul says, put on your, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse five, it says that we take captive every thought, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul's telling us to focus on whatever and then we see here that we're to take it captive. Colossians chapter three, verses one and two, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on, thing, on things above, not on earthly things. That's lovely. These are all lovely things. That which is lovely, that which pushes us towards the love of God, we are to think about such things. Examine your thoughts. Measure your thoughts. Have they been focused on what is lovely? Now, have they been focused on what is admirable? Some versions say uh, to focus on whatever things are of good report, which um, is a Greek word um, that translates all of those, and, it, and it's this word euphema, euphema. E-U, the first part of the word, it means I'm good, and phema is a report or news, so it's this good news. So a really good definition, you see it up there on the screen, for euphema is thinking that searches for the good. Thinking that searches for the good. So here's a question. Why would Paul encourage the church to focus on these qualities? What's lovely and now searching for what's good? Why would he do that? Like, why would he say in, in Philippians 4 8, why would he say that whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, why would he say focus on this? Is it, is it odd that we actually have to be encouraged to search for these things? Shouldn't, shouldn't we be naturally drawn to this? Why is it that we're told we have to search for this? Right? This is all really good stuff. Why are we being told we've got to look for it? Why are we told we've got to pursue it? Why are we told we've got to think about it? Why? Well, it's because we have this thing called negativity bias. It's, it's, it's real. I believe it is a direct result of sin. 
It's a direct result of, of what transpired there at the beginning, at the fall of humanity, that this was not there in the beginning, that Adam and Eve were not created with negativity bias, so there were no belly buttons and there was no negativity bias there in the beginning, but it came on the scene with sin. And some of you are catching up. You went, oh, what? No belly buttons. Mm-hmm. All right, good. You there? All right, so... According to the National Science Foundation, sounds, sounds important, um, they say this, that an average person has anywhere from 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. Okay, I don't know where you are in that zone. Some of you are going 60, ha, 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 60,000, I have. That's, that's junior varsity level right there. But, but the average person, 12 to 60,000 thoughts per day. Here's the deal, though. This is why I tell you this information. They say that over 80% of those thoughts are negative over 80% of your thoughts, whether it's 12,000 or 60,000 or way more, 80% are negative. And hold on, that's not all. Wait, there's more. 95% of our thoughts are repetitive. So if 80% of your thoughts, however many there are, are negative, and 95% of those are repetitive, friends, we are thinking negative so much more than we think positive. This is why scripture says, think these things. Think what's lovely. Think what's admirable. Think about what's noble and true. Like this is why it says this. So with, with negativity bias, what happens is, is we end up with the exact opposite of euphema. We're not people who are searching for the good. We're not people who are looking for good news. No, no, no. We are, we are pessimists and we are skeptics. We assume the worst We're the, you gotta prove it to me first, people. This is what we do, many of us. We look at a situation in the worst possible light. This is why Paul is having to tell us to practice these things. So, you know, I could go on, like negativity bias can be explained in like psychologically and even like neurologically, you can like see it happening. Um, But it has profound spiritual implications, which is why I'm mentioning it. So here's what I want to do. I just want to mention a couple of different um, spiritual attributes. And I want us to see how, for us to consider how negativity bias impacts some of these spiritual attributes that I think most of us is, I mean, all of us as Christians should be people who are like, yes. All right. So with negativity bias, then what does that do to the spiritual attribute of, of gratitude? What does it do to that? If, 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 we have some, if we've got negativity bias, if 80% of our thoughts are negative, then you know what happens is when you focus on something, when you think about something, it's about what's wrong, right? So then how then are we gonna be thankful for what's going on It's good? So this is a real thing that Paul is saying. I want you to think about whatever is admirable, Whatever is lovely, I, because our minds are, are tempted to go in a different direction. What about faith? Well, I mean, just, just our faith. How can we be confident, like I was saying earlier, in, in God's promises, if in one minute we're like, yes, and in the next minute our thoughts gravitate towards maybe possible exceptions, as if God's like, this is true for everyone else except for you, Right? 
Like, how does that affect our faith if we're being negative? What about our, our hope in for the future, our hope in a circumstance, our hope in the moment? How can we expect a good outcome if we're worried about a bad one? See, this has spiritual implications. This is why Paul says that think about these things. This is why I'm telling you, measure your thoughts, examine your thoughts. It could be affecting these. What about just love? What about love? How is it possible to love people well if their faults seem bigger than their value as a human being? See, God knows the bias towards negativity that has been embedded in us in our fallen human nature. And so Paul's point to the church why he writes this in Philippians 4, why we read it in all these other places in, this, in Scripture. Paul's point is that in our thinking and thus in our actions, that we need to focus, focus, examine, measure, take into account that we need to focus on whatever is lovely, that which pushes us towards love. And we need to focus on that which is admirable, whatever is admirable, Thinking that searches for good instead of bad. Measure this. Examine this. Like, are you, are you like I have been lately and you're prone to just take it all on yourself and, and, and do what Mr. Carnegie says and we're just like, oh, I'm going to just, all oh, it's all about me. Or do you have a tendency to think the worst? Are your thoughts lovely? Are your thoughts lovely? Are they pushing you towards God? Are your thoughts admirable? Searching for the good. Let's, let's start this examination. Let's start this measurement. I want to start this now as we pray together. And I want this to stay with you and for you to continue to, to um, go over these things and think about these things and look at those scriptures. I want this to continue as we go on into worship and as we go out today. But let's, let's start the examination right now as we pray together. God, your word, it says that you will keep us in perfect peace as we trust in you, as we fix our thoughts on you. And so that is the promise. So God, forgive us for our thoughts being fixed elsewhere or just right back in the mirror. God, our desire is to be continually Yes, continually transformed by changing the way that we think. God, I pray right now that we would set our hearts, we would set our minds on things above with you where Christ is seated at your right hand. God, we desire that your spirit, your Holy Spirit, will renew our thoughts, will renew our attitudes as we do our part and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.